0: You're listening to Augmented Humanity. Our guests are modern explorers working at the intersection of technology and the humanities. They help us to understand ourselves and the worlds we create in this digital age. They are thinkers, creators, makers, and academics working in diverse fields like history, the visual arts, communications, and comparative religion. I'm your host, Craig Goldsmith.
1: I'm your host, Ellen Dorman.
0: On this program, we're joined by Daniel Latorre, founder and director of The Wise City. Daniel is an advocate for digital placemaking, with a focus on community engagement and for city leaders going beyond smart cities.
1: Daniel, thank you for coming and talking with us about how citizens and people engaged in municipal governance can make better tech decisions. We've been talking about how leaders might make decisions at the procurement point point. And I guess in my head, I imagine that I'm a city leader and somebody comes to me and says, I've got this solution to your homelessness problem, or I've got the solution to your traffic problem or your transportation gridlock that you have across the city. And it's this wonderful tech package that I've engineered for you. And it may seem really easy to just say, okay, yes, the citizens want better traffic flow through the city. So here's my one-stop solution. So at that point, what can leaders do to Sort of put the brakes on that technical acceleration? How can they hear from other people who might have different solutions, even non tech solutions?
2: So, this is happening not just in the US, but everywhere. You know, the work that I've done, especially during the pandemic, brought me to various places in Europe. I was able to do a project in Colombia, where I was originally born, and spent several months in Australia and visited many cities giving talks and workshops and working on a couple projects it's everywhere so this dilemma of the sort of breathless jump on the tech bandwagon tech will save you tech has all the answers if you don't get in now you'll be a loser you won't get elected or you know you won't make as much impact There's a ton of PR and marketing pressure that is wrapped up in this whole idea of technological determinism, which is that whatever Silicon Valley is planning is inevitable. You have no choice but to start submitting to this regime now or later when it's too late and maybe you won't benefit or your residents benefit as much because you won't be in power or you won't have a job because you didn't learn all the fancy new technology that's going to save us. And then also because of the climate crisis and all these other issues politically going on, it's like, oh, well, the answer is not only that technology will save us, but we need to do as much technology as soon as possible. Don't ask why. Don't ask silly questions. Trust the engineers, trust the VCs that they know best for the entire planet. That right there is incredibly dysfunctional because it doesn't allow space for a representative democratic mix of people to weigh in on, is that true? Is there evidence for this? Is this even the conversation we should be having right now? Are there other more important conversations that we should be having? Are there a tremendous amount of negative impacts or costs or externalities that will result from this path of technology in this particular case? What sort of disruptions to good things will be happening because we're focusing on this and not something else? There's a whole number of what I would consider very wise questions to ask that have been developed in a number of different disciplines outside of engineering culture, in sociology, in the humanities, anthropology, the history of science, history of science and technology, science and technology studies, communication studies, etc., And even in journalism, there's a growing amount of critical journalism happening in communications about the impact of the way that our communication systems are actually affecting our decision-making and our ability to understand each other. There's a lot of very important contexts that need to go into the decision-making, and it is unfair to expect that any one local leader, whether it's a career professional or an elected official, or even a local community organizer... Any one person can't understand and be able to speak to all of this. You need a collective cross disciplinary group of people, you know, it's sort of the wisdom of the crowd, which at one point got a lot of buzz around this whole idea of wisdom of crowds. And it's, again, not the silver bullet answer to everything either, because we do need experts, we do need professionals who have deep knowledge and experience in what they're doing. But we need to listen to everybody. We need everyone's input in order to make this really equitable and functional.
0: Can I ask, Daniel, and this is me playing a little bit of devil's advocate. There's an aspect here to what you're saying, which is there's almost a presumption that given the opportunity, people will be engaged and vocal and speak their mind And if this comes off as cynical, forgive me, but in practice, it seems like when it comes to governance, that people only get vocal when it's something that hits really close to home. We can talk about the dysfunction of having all our cities centered around the automobile, but people only really think about it when the kid gets hit by a speeding car in the school zone. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, well, we need to reconfigure the streets or we need to do this or we need to do that
2: this question is really important. It shines a light on one of the sort of important mirrors that we need to hold up and look at American culture. What is our culture right now? Our political culture, our our justice culture, (laughs) right? I mean, this is a question. Can we actually look in the mirror and see ourselves? Do we have the courage and the wisdom to say, hey, it's really important right now to have an honest reflection of where we are and who we are, who's not in the mirror, who is in the mirror. In particular, again, we have to talk about the politics. So back to you know what I mentioned previously is that all technology is political because it's made by humans and all humans have different power relations. So there is always politics. And what I mean in politics, I don't mean electoral politics. I mean more than that, I mean power. There are power relations. That's what politics is about, is the sharing and negotiation of our power because we're all powerful people. We don't even realize that but we all have a certain amount of power this idea of a participatory democracy which is very american and very individualistic and i would say now kind of wrapped up in a lot of libertarianism which is this assumption that everyone is equal and so everyone will be able to vote and distributed organizations and distributed systems on their own are somehow democratic is frankly because we do not have the same power relationships If we go down a path of just getting rid of formal governance and just letting everything be completely free market laissez-faire, the people who will take advantage of that environment are the people with the most amount of power. And that's basically called feudalism.
1: Well, it's the same people driving that deterministic narrative you were talking about.
2: Exactly. Curious that's who's driving that narrative, right? You know, who benefits from each different position? Like, That's an important, wise question. Well, who will benefit from this path and who won't benefit? Who will be excluded? And so, yeah, Craig, the reality is I may be really available for being involved in community activism and real participatory democracy. But if I have a child in nine months and I need to be co-parenting, I'm not going to be able to be going to all the meetings. And it's not because I don't care. It's because I have other priorities. And life is like that because we're alive and powerful and we're constantly moving and creating and shifting in different ways. If I become sick because I don't have health insurance, right? And I can't take care of myself and I'm struggling. If I need mental health assistance, you know, all these other needs and things that happen to us in life that you can't count on, which is why representative democracy was one of the things that we've arrived at is it's important to delegate decision-making. There is some really innovative ideas. That's kind of in the in-between zone here of these ideas of liquid democracy, What if there is technology can help us in a more free flowing delegation of who do we deem the experts to be involved in different decision making? That's come out of some of the political parties in Europe and in Latin America. The other thing is we haven't figured it out, right? So democracy is relatively new and it's been resisted as soon as it was created in Greece. And it's an ongoing thing. That itself is an area of innovation, like, What if we reframe the whole thing of that? This isn't about technology. We should be glorifying the innovators and leaders in a more functional or wiser form of governance. The whole spectrum, informally, from the personal to the family, to the community, to the city, region, and beyond, right? Globally, how do we all live together in our neighborhood? How do we live together in our cities? How do we live together on this planet? That perspective, those questions, that to me is innovation. And part of that, a small part of that, maybe 10% technology can help. It's something more like that's the ratio. That is a wise ratio versus ignoring all of these questions, ignoring all of these feelings, ignoring all these people and thinking that the main gap in our world is our technology and the type of currency that we have. Can you point to any positive functional examples? Yeah. Here's the thing about embodiment. I want to kind of talk about How do we get out of our heads and be more grounded and embodied and holistic in our way that we show up in the world as community members, as members of interconnected, responsible adults? I really wanna give a shout out to what Francesca Bria is doing in Barcelona and what the city of Barcelona is doing in their technology policy, which is filled with the sociological and cultural consciousness and history, awareness of these choices and is very much in this spirit. I mean, frankly, the answers are it's not happening in the United States because even the civic technology or public interest technology that is these sort of movements that are happening in the US, which is good, it's like E for effort, but it's so often filled with a lot of individualistic libertarian ethos because that's just the waters that we're swimming in here. I would say there are some new programs and new places at Yale and Harvard, you know, so there are some beachheads. There are some places now where there are new next-gen folks that are coming from this consciousness in the United States. And like I mentioned in Toronto with uh, Bianca Wiley and the work that's happening out of that kind of movement, because they just were energized by encountering the Smart City project and resisting it successfully. That energized them now. So there's a lot more happening there. And then also in Amsterdam, actually, before the pandemic, I was there for a placemaking conference with Project for Public Spaces and Placemaking X, which is another group that grew out of Project for Public Spaces and got to actually go and teach at a university there to future digital placemakers or urban technology type folks. And what I was hearing there, what was being taught. Was this more holistic? So in Europe, and I think, again, this is the context is a lot of the European democracies are much more socially oriented. They're not individualistic compared to the United States. They have a broader social contract. They have a relatively more inclusive mission at hand, still fraught with problems with racism and other things, and their own battles with the for-profit mentality versus a more equitable approach. It would be better if local uh, officials that are really interested in this, if they went and visited and talked with folks in Barcelona or Amsterdam, I would say, than to talk to anyone in the United States. Now I'm saying that in a very provocative way because I want to get people's attention on this. There are folks in, I would say, look under public interest as the hashtag and the responsible technology and ethical technology. Which itself is a bit fraught because that space is also filled with a lot of corporate players that are looking to basically do the same thing they've always been doing, but tokenistically making it look like they're being ethical and responsible, but they're not really changing the game at all. There's been a lot of people who've been fired or have quit the big tech companies that were claiming to do ethical technology because they couldn't handle the mirror of an accurate accounting and reflection of how artificial intelligence and other tech savior-like ideas are actually just exacerbating racism and misogyny and other sorts of problems because they just were never thinking about that when they were making it. And there's also a presumption that they could fix it. And there's a really good argument that there's a lot of cases where AI should just never even be used because the problem at root and the solution path forward is not an algorithm, period. Daniel, thank you so much for
0: talking with us about creating Wise Cities.
2: Yeah, thanks so much. And
0: if you would like more information about Daniel and his work, you can visit thewisecity.org. That's all one word. Augmented Humanity is a program of the New Mexico Humanities Council produced in partnership with KUNM-FM. You can visit us online and find out more about our programs at nmhumanities.org. Our theme music comes courtesy James White, and we've had production assistance from Tristan Klum.